Hey everyone, thanks for joining today. My name is Corey Whalen, managing partner of Bridgemark Strategies, an independent recruiting firm that's helped over a thousand financial advisors objectively explore the broker dealer and RIA marketplace. Personally, myself, I've helped over a hundred Edward Jones advisors transition from one firm to another. And in my opinion, at Edward Jones, financial advisors have more misconceptions about making a transition to independence in a multitude of different ways than any other firm. And with my experience in 10 plus years of recruiting, I could help financial advisors debunk those misconceptions around the actual logistics of a transition, the difference between broker dealers and RIAs and the things that you need to do in order to be successful to make a move over to the independent channel. But once it gets to reviewing an Edward Jones legal agreement, typically those conversations are between the attorney and the financial advisor between closed doors, hopefully uh, until today. Uh, my goal today is just to educate Edward Jones advisors on what they can do, what they cannot do in a transition, talk about the likelihood of actually getting sued, and just discuss best practices when potentially considering making a change. Uh, my guest on the call today is an attorney that um, I've leveraged for many years um, with some of my clients and has more experience moving Edward Jones advisors and consulting from one firm to another than uh, most other attorneys that I know out there. Um, and his name is Scott Matasar. Um, Scott Matasar is, is uh, a financial, is a uh, attorney at Matasar Jacobs. And Scott, how are you doing today? Good morning, Corey. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, I think what we're going to cover today is something that a lot of Edward Jones advisors have questions about, and they don't really get the chance to do it until they're at the very end of their due diligence process, which is a lot of financial advisors just aren't willing to take that step at this time. So this is a really great way for them to get some insight and learn at their pace. So I really, really appreciate it. Happy to do it. So Scott, why don't you just start off, if you don't mind, just telling us a little bit, you know, about yourself and, you know, how you serve financial advisors and then, you know, specifically how you work with Edward Jones advisors through their transition. Sure. So my practice is focused 100% on representing parties in the retail financial services industry. My clients range from uh, broker-dealer firms uh, to RIA firms to independent firms, uh, and as well as individual registered reps and, and IARs. Literally, 100% uh, of my practice is focused on that industry, and it ranges from day-to-day -day business counseling regulatory advice, assisting advisors when they get in trouble with FINRA or the SEC, uh, negotiating and papering practice purchases and sales. And, and one particular vertical is, is the recruiting space. Uh, I typically represent anywhere from 250 to 300 advisors or teams a year in moving from one firm to another. Uh, and I've been doing this for a long time. So uh, it, it's safe to say I've, I've literally moved thousands of advisors from between firms uh, over time. And what I can say you know, at, a, at a high level, Corey, before we talk about Edward Jones, is that you know advisors are often nervous to move. But what I my experience has been that in a given year, my litigation rate, uh, the number of advisors who actually get sued by their firm when they leave, 
is about one or one and a half percent. So if I'm doing 250 transitions a year, I might get three or four uh, you know, advisors who get sued by their firm when they leave. And, and it's usually those people fall into a couple of high risk categories. They're, they're either leaving a, a bank channel situation, a JP Morgan, a Huntington, a PNC, or some small regional bank more likely where they're, you know, with the Raymond James Financial Institutions Division or Securities America, but they're working at, you know, Podunk Bank of Nebraska. Um, you know, the banks get very fidgety about advisors leaving and hitting on their bank depositors. So that's one high risk category. The second high risk category are people leaving, you know, standalone small RIAs where the the owner is still there and thinks that everybody ought to be throwing rose petals on the floor every morning when he walks into the office and takes any it takes any departure as a personal insult um, and, and have a lot of ego involved and will sue people out of a bruised ego. And then the third category are people who don't follow my advice and do something stupid um, and, and basically put a target on their backs to get sued. But my clients who follow my advice, um, as I say, the vast, vast majority of them are able to move without any incident whatsoever. So advisors should not be scared to move. I think that's really good to know. And I think that is um, an incredibly low st statistic compared to what a particular Edward Jones advisor or a Morgan Stanley advisor or a UBS, you know, advisor thinks. I think there's a lot of people potentially, you know, that have a lot of vested interest in them keeping and staying in their seats that, you know, would potentially tell them that that litigation rate is a lot higher. Well, if you do it properly, you don't really give the firms an excuse to sue you, right? The trick is to make sure you color inside the lines. And if you conduct yourself appropriately, then the firm doesn't have any basis to sue you. Um, it might mean, you know, being careful with what you do and don't do, but if you do it properly, you know, my, my role in these, in these transitions, Corey, is to advise, uh, you know, FAs, you know, to be, so that they can be as aggressive as possible without crossing any red lines that would give the firm an excuse to sue them. And, and there's a lot of leeway there. If you know where to look uh, at a high level, not just Jones, but anywhere, that you can, there's a lot you can do that you don't realize uh, as a as an advisor that you have have some tools available to you that don't violate the contract and will still help you accomplish what you need to do in terms of giving your clients the opportunity to come with you. So Scott, can we can you share you know just from experience in the past what some of those things are because I speak with a lot of financial advisors and they say. You know, Corey, I can't just open up my own office and sit at my desk in front of a phone and just wait for my clients to call. Like, that's not my personality. So can you just kind of talk about, you know, some of the things that you've helped financial advisors do in the past? Well, sure. And, and we can talk about Jones more specifically in a bit. But but at a, at a high level, Corey, in, in most situations and in most states, um, an advisor is free to put together a uh, contact list from publicly available sources using whitepages.com or some other source, you know, using their own home computer, not on company time. They can sit home in their fuzzy slippers and look up their clients on Google or what have you and put together a, a mailing list of their clients' addresses, phone numbers, and, and emails from publicly available sources and have that when they leave. Um, as long as they, and the trick is to show that they haven't taken with them any firm data. 
Um, I mean, unless you're representing Tom Brady or some Russian oligarch who hides their contact information behind some anonymous LLC, an advisor should be able to look up almost all of their clients' contact information publicly. That's number one. Number two, in the vast majority of states, the, the mailing out of a bare bones change of address announcement, what uh, you know they used to call a tombstone letter, it is not deemed an act of quote unquote solicitation because you're just literally putting people on notice of here is my new contact information. You're not including any information about you know any language like please call me or stop by the office or or urging them to, to engage in any particular course of action. You are just placing people on notice of your new office contact information. And with a few exceptions, uh, primarily Illinois, Maryland, and Hawaii, in most states, um, the courts have held that that sort of a basic announcement, sending it out to clients, even if it's a targeted mailing, isn't an act of quote-unquote solicitation. So th those are just a couple of examples of tools that advisors have available to them, regardless of what their contract might say. Um, that they, you know, to the layman, it looks like the the contract is ironclad and they have they're in a straitjacket. But you know, for a, a lawyer who specifically who does this kind of work, this is not the when you're transitioning. This is not the kind of thing that you give to your 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 sister-in-law's brother who does real estate or trust in estates or you know, personal injury. You need to hire somebody who specializes in working in the financial services industry and knows where the gaps are in those contracts and how to exploit them. Yeah, that's 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 great to know. Um, you know, I, I work with a lot of financial advisors that um, are bringing over, you know, 75 plus percent of their assets from one firm to another. And they're not doing that by, you know, just sitting at the phone and sweating and, you know, just waiting for, you know, their, their financial advisors, to, their, their clients to call. So thank you for giving a little bit of inside baseball on that. No, absolutely. So, I mean, if you want to turn now to, to Jones, here's what I can tell you. I've probably moved conservatively over the years. I've probably moved, uh, I don't know, 150, maybe 200 Edward Jones advisors over my, over my career. I've never actually totaled it up, but that's probably a safe number. And in all the years I've been doing this, Corey, I've had one advisor get sued by Jones. Wow. One. And 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 that was sort of a unique. I had another situation where they threatened to sue um, and they were going to run to court the next morning. And when I called opposing counsel and said, hey, I'm, I'm at the airport. I'm getting on the plane to St. Louis in 20 minutes. What time is the hearing tomorrow morning? All of a sudden he backed off and said, oh, wait, 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 let's talk about this. And we settled the, settled the dispute while I was sitting in chairs waiting to board the plane. So Jones talks, in my opinion, Jones talks a good game, but they really are litigation averse unless the advisor does something, as I say, that's just out and out, you know, flagrant where they're just begging to get to get themselves in trouble. And um, if they, in my experience, if they follow my advice, they are able to move without any problems from Jones. Um, you know, again, you have to, there are some things you can do and some things you can't do, but if you color inside the lines, um, you're not going to get sued. As I said, I have 150 plus advisors and one, one, one suit in my entire career. So whatever you're more comfortable talking about, Scott, you know, what, what are some of the things that, 
you can do or, 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 or what are some of the things that you absolutely, you know, cannot do whatever you're more comfortable with. Yeah. Well, so I first want to say I am not providing legal advice on this podcast and nobody who watches it should, should be acting upon my, what I'm saying on this podcast. I'm not your attorney and you would need to retain me to review your particular contract and, and give you advice. So uh, I want to be clear, this is general guidelines, um, you know, and, and input for, for educational purposes. But what I can say is, you know, I, I, I'm very familiar with the Edward Jones contract, and it, it is written in such a way that um, the sending out of a bare bones tombstone letter, like we talked about earlier, is permissible. It, again, doesn't, may not read that way to the layman, um, but just by way of example, the standard Jones contract that I see all the time says essentially, you know, thou shalt not solicit for a period of 12 months after you leave. And then it goes on to define soliciting as uh, soliciting means contacting uh, clients that you've worked with for the purpose of inviting, encouraging, or requesting the advisor to the, the client to move their account over. So it doesn't say that you can't contact the, the client, it says you can't contact them for the purpose of inviting them to move. And that's sort of where the loophole is, where sending out a, a plain Jane tombstone letter um, doesn't fall foul of that limiting language in the contract. And in fact, uh, virtually every financial advisor I've lifted out of Jones has sent a tombstone letter and, and you know, has had no pushback from the firm or real pushback. I mean, they, the firm has been famous for having a, an outside law firm on retainer that sort of sends a, a warning letter to try to scare advisors. Um, and then I'll typically respond to that law firm. Hey guys, yeah, it's me, Scott, again, got your letter. You know, my client is painting inside the lines. You don't have any basis to sue him. Um, consult, have a nice day, love Scott. And, uh, and that is the end of it. So tombstone letters by and large are perfectly fine. I would say the only exception to that, Corey, is where the if the, if the advisor has signed a good night agreement with a retiring advisor, uh, that contract is more stringent and puts more restrictions on the FA's ability to interact with the clients that they've the, of the book that they've purchased. But for the stand, for the standard general, you know, uh, you know, uh, Jones FA contract, you, they as a general rule, sending out a tombstone letter. Again, using a mailing list generated from publicly available sources is permissible, and or or I should say more accurately, does not trigger litigation in my experience. Okay, very helpful. Um, is there anything that you can absolutely just should steer clear from? Yeah, um, pre-soliciting your clients. Um, you, you know, I'm sure everyone at Jones knows the playbook is that when you resign. Right, the local local management will chop up your book and and assign it to several other advisors in your neighborhood, who will then spend the day, you know, calling those clients in an effort to conserve the business. And as part of that process, the the, the replacement FAs will often probe with the customers to say, you know, to find out whether or not they knew in advance of the departure. So, you know, for advisors thinking about leaving Jones you want to be very careful not to say anything that would tip the customers off even even 
alluding to it because it could be misinterpreted by the replacement FA and by Jones to make them think that you were soliciting these clients while you were still there. Sure. Thank you. That's that's super helpful. And I, I'd say one other thing is just obviously to make sure you are not taking with you any client data whatsoever. Uh, Jones will likely audit your computer activity for the last 90 or 120 days before you leave. And if they see any sort of bulk downloads, um, either print jobs or a download to a, a Google Drive or a USB drive, um, that's going to be a red flag and will immediately get escalated. So just understand your computer activity will be reviewed after you leave and you want to make sure that, that you are conducting yourself on the up and up. And that's my experience too, Scott. Out of the 100 plus advi advisors from Edward Jones that I've helped move, the one that I've seen get in some significant trouble was was doing just that. They, you know, a week before, super active on their computer and 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 downloading and taking as much information as possible, and 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 that was a huge red flag. Right. Well, the, not only that, not only can it raise your risk of litigation by Jones, but Jones is likely to turn you into Finra, that's going to start inve start investigating you for misappropriating client, you know, PII. So, and I've seen advisors, you know, be suspended from the industry for taking with them client information that they weren't entitled to keep. Thank you. Um, so a few other things that I've seen that I've had um, advisors have some concerns about um, where they thought in the process it might complicate, complicate things are maybe one Edward Jones advisor uh, on one side of the region and one is on the other really good friends, you know, potentially moving at the same time and teaming up together like in, in, in one office or a financial advisor wanting to bring their BOA with them, their administrative assistant. Um, does that complicate anything at all? It can, the, the Jones contract, um, has a restriction against you know, what I call a non-recruit, that you can't go, you know, trying to bring over other Jones personnel with you. You know, it, it, in those situations, you know, what I suggest is, well, it's different if it's two FAs in the same city that where they're sort of equal and neither of them is in a supervisory capacity. They could easily have been talking about this stuff you know, over lunches for a period of months. And it's impossible to say who recruited who, right? I mean, it's the two of them sort of commiserating and deciding to leave together. But with, with wanting to take your BOA with you, different story. Uh, and my advice in those situations is not to let the BOA know in advance that you're leaving. Again, that, that could be a, a red flag for Jones. But you can, you know, on your way out the door, make sure that your BOA knows where you're going knows how much you enjoyed working together and let them know that if, if things aren't working out for them at Jones and they decide that they in the future want to make a change, you know, here's my phone number, right? I mean, because often cases, you know, right. There's no, there's nothing for that BOA to do if it's a one person office. And it might be that after a week or two, the BOA is tired of, you know, bending paper clips and decides, you know, picks up the phone and calls the departed FA and says, you know, I'm bored out of mind, my mind over here. You know, do you have room for me? And as long as it's the BOA initiating contact, right, then it should be fine. 
Um, and having that sort of gap of a couple of weeks um, so that it's not, you know, a one-two punch, you know, also will, you know, I think, you know, uh, lessen any concern on the part of Jones that the advisor has violated their non-recruit. That's great to know. Um, one other legal challenge I see a lot of um, Edward Jones advisors run into um, at one point in their career, when they get to the right level, they have the flexibility to be able to buy their own office space. Um, and Edward Jones is a big firm and a great tenant. So they have the ability to, you know, rent that space back to Edward Jones, but that comes with some restrictive covenants in their contract. So typically when a financial advisor wants to leave, sometimes they need to go out and get new office space where one of their competitors moves into, you know, the office space that they love and they purchase for themselves, which obviously causes some friction in the transition process. Have you ever worked with any Edward Jones advisors where that's been an issue? And has there ever been a solution for that? And Or, or have they always had to move out of the space that they own? Yeah, I haven't had that many. I've had two or three situations like what you're talking about, Corey. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, there, I think at least one, I know in one of them, the advisor just had to had to build up other space and move. Um, and, you know, and do it. And you can build out that space in advance. You don't, you don't have to wait till the day you quit to go out and rent space. You're, you're free under the law to rent space, set up a website, buy furniture, get computers and be ready to go so that you can hit the ground running on day one. That's all permissible. Um, I think in another situation, if I recall correctly, there were only maybe six months left on the lease. And we worked something out with Jones to basically buy out the, the balance of the lease and get them, out, get them out of the office as the tenant for some sort of a lump sum. Um, so that is an option. Obviously, though, the issue is you're not going to know what if Jones is going to say yes or no to that until you after you leave. So you've got to have, you know, uh, you've got to be prepared to maybe work from your house for, you know, uh, a couple of weeks while the uh, situation with the with the landlord tenant situation with Jones gets gets worked out. Um, so it, it is it is a complicating factor. And it's just one more way that Jones tries to lock people in you know if if they were in my opinion if jones was such a great place to work they wouldn't have to resort to those kinds of tactics to try to make uh, their advisors captive yeah for sure um is there anything else that you think edward jones you know advisors should know that are that are listening to this podcast today that that we didn't cover I guess, you know, just the one thing I really want to emphasize is that, in my opinion, you know, I don't want to jinx it, right? But in my opinion, Edward Jones's bark is worse than his bite. Um, they are uh, uh, well known for sending out, you know, threatening letters after advisors leave in, in an effort to intimidate them and maybe make them um, pull their punches and not do everything that they're allowed to do. But, you know, Again, unless you are moving, in my opinion, more than 50 to 75 million under management, it just doesn't make sense economically for Jones or frankly for any firm to bring litigation in an effort to try to keep the business. It just, um, 
those kinds of proceedings where we're running into court to try to get a restraining order or to fight off a restraining order are very expensive. You can easily spend tens of thousands of dollars in the space of a month. And Edward Jones, just like any other firm, is not going to go throwing good money after bad. And you really have to have a sizable book of business before it becomes economically rational for Jones or for any firm, for that matter, to try to run to court to shut you down. Awesome. Thank you so much. I guess my last question, Scott, is you know, when should a financial advisor start retaining somebody like you? Um, I know there's a lot of broker dealers out there at the end of the process um, you know, that will flip the bill to, to, to protect them and to also protect the financial advisor, you know, as, as they transition. But, you know, when do you think the right time is to, to start having a conversation with someone like yourself? Yeah, I would say ideally 90 to 120 days out. So three or four months before you leave, um, you know, reviewing a contract and, 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 and providing the FA clarity on what they can and cannot do early in the process uh, allows us a lot more um, ability to craft a customized strategy for that advisor on how to transition cleanly and how to make it easy for the clients to follow them without violating any restrictive covenants. Um, and the, there are just frankly uh, other strategies and other tools I have available that we, we haven't talked about here today that I have available to me to an advisor who comes to me 90 days out that wouldn't I wouldn't have available if they come to me, say, 30 days out. So ideally, at least 90 days in advance of departure date. Awesome. Scott, thank you so much. I, I know you're extremely busy, and I think this is going to be extremely helpful to financial advisors that, that are considering change. If, if a financial advisor wants to reach out to you, Scott, wh where can they find you? Sure. Well, maybe the easiest thing is to just call my office number, which is 216-453-8180. I'm based in Cleveland, Ohio, but again, I represent financial advisors nationwide. Um, that's the nice thing about the industry is FINRA is FINRA is FINRA. And so it's all the same everywhere. And I, I represent clients literally in, in every state except for California and Louisiana because the laws there are a little more funky. But, um, you know, transition work, literally, I handle it coast to coast. Thank you so much again, Scott. And if anyone has any questions about the broker-dealer or RIA space in general, you can reach out to me at 908-902-4903 or at uh, Corey at BridgemarkStrategies.com. Scott, I hope you have a great rest of the day. And thanks again. Thanks, Corey. Pleasure chatting with you. I really, really hope you find this podcast of value. If you do, please make sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. 